0: Well, how are you doing today? You guys doing pretty good. Eleven o'clock. You slept in. You're alive, right? You're alive and well. Your brains are clear. You have your caffeine back, right? So that, that we're ready, good to go. So we're going to go into our time of teaching. Uh, inside your program, if you're brand new, you may not know this. Inside your program is a, a white, a white and green, green and white sheet that we use every week. And if you guys are ready to go, uh, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. Let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and continue on this epic journey that you have us on uh, as we unpack this vision that you have for all of creation, where we fit in, what it looks like to live it out in our life. And so, God, we're hungry for you today. As a church, we're hungry. We just, we're thankful for what you're doing. We're thankful for how you're moving. We're thankful for what you're teaching us, but we really do want more. We want to learn how to put off the old, put on the new, so we can be transformed, become like you, and live out these epic lives you've called us to. And so we pray that you would do that, you'd open our eyes to that, give us grace and courage, uh, faith to follow. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today about, uh, I'm guessing, 15 years ago. Uh, Lynn and I were still uh, living in Vista down in North San Diego County at the time. Um, I was pastor of, uh, kind of one of the senior pastors, one of the largest churches in the region. And uh, on this particular day I was out I'd been out in Fallbrook. Some of you know, if you're familiar there, I'd been out in Fallbrook. and uh, I was coming back and needed gas on my way back to the church. and so I stopped off at a Arco station, a New Arco station in this little town of Bonzel, not much there in Bonzel, but there's this Arco Station, and it was a big, beautiful, and you know, Arco, awesome, right, low price gases, low gas, you have to pay 35 cents for the ATM, but you know, it's just, you know, it's, you know. so uh, anyway, so I pull in there, and uh, I go through the normal routine, right, get out of the car, pull out my wallet, get my ATM card, go, yes, I'll pay 35 cents extra for the ATM, uh, pull the gas line out, and I go to put it in the far side of my car, it was on the far side, and uh, And I realized that I had parked about a mile away from the pup, right? So I don't know if you've ever done that, but, you know, I'm not going to admit defeat. I'm not going to move the car. I mean, it's like, (laughs) are you serious? I'm a man. Um, And so I'm going to make this thing stretch. I'm going to pull it all around the car. Now, with Costco, their gas lines are so long, you can go around your car three times (laughs) if you want. But this wasn't Costco, and so... (laughs) And so I'm pulling it as hard as I can. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. No surrender. And I have the thing pull as tight as it can get. And if I get the gas cap off and stick it in there and lodge it in and start the gas, yes, I won. And, uh, and so I start to walk away, and all of a sudden it comes loose. And that thing looks like a python spewing venom everywhere. Now, if you've never done this, the good news is that when it disengages, gas automatically turns off. Now, I'm not saying I'd done this before, <laughs> but I did know that. And, uh, and so when it first pops loose, of course, I'm kind of, it scares me, right? It's just like that, you know, but then I remember, oh, yeah, it turns off. And so I'm okay. The woman on the other side of the pump obviously didn't know that. And she sees this black python coming through the air. She is scared to death. And she is mad. She is angry. And she is looking for whoever did this to (laughs) punish them. (laughs) And so I'm standing there. It's obviously me. And so she lets me have it. She launches in. Right, and she is going to make me pay. of course, as a good follower of Jesus, I just take it, right? I don't respond. She starts yelling, screaming. I just take it. Don't respond at first. Well, today we're continuing our series. Uh that we've been in now for about a month and a half. Uh, for those of you who are brand new, um, we do this every week. <laughs> uh, no, for those of you who are brand new, uh, this series is called Epic Living the Vision. And it's actually uh, the second in a two part series that's a study of a letter from a man that we call the Apostle Paul to a group of Christ followers who are living in the capital city of one of the major provinces in the Roman Empire. The name of the city is Ephesus. About a quarter of a million people live there. It's about 30, 35 years after the death of Jesus. Paul's in prison writing to them. And, uh, and so in the first half of this letter, Paul is laying out this epic vision that God has for all of creation, to bring all of creation under the leadership of its true king, King Jesus, to restore and heal all of creation. And he shares that as followers of Jesus, that when we come to Jesus, we find out that we've actually been chosen before time beget to play an important role in this vision. And, uh, and so the first half of the letter, for three chapters, Paul has laid out this incredible epic vision for our lives. And then when he gets to chapter 4, he begins to move into kind of the practical part. He says, okay, so in light of this vision, what does it look like to live out this epic vision in everyday life? It's going to get very practical. And so the first series we called uh, Epic, The Vision. Second series, Epic, Living the Vision. Now, the last few weeks we've been in a section... In chapter 4, it starts at verse 17, and it goes all the way through chapter 5 and verse 2, where Paul says um, that if we want to live out this epic vision God has for our life, we're going to have to learn to rethink our whole approach to life. In fact, he says we're going to have to enter into the school of Jesus, come under his leadership, and he's going to teach us how to put off the old life, put on the new, like an old set of clothing, put on a new set of clothing, so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can become like God again, in the image of God, become like God again, so that we can live out this epic vision and live a life of love, uh, as he's called us to do. And so we're, we've come to a part in this uh, series where Paul's going to give us six practical examples of what it looks like to put off the old, put on the new. Last week, topic on the table was integrity. So how'd you do this week? <laughs> okay, you came back for another beating. That's often. Okay, so... Um, Yeah, so today's second topic on the table is anger, one of the most important topics we could talk about. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. There on your note sheet is a section called Epic Anger. Not really Epic Anger, but uh, (laughs) epic subtitle, (laughs) Anger. Uh, And so we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 26. We'll just be looking at three verses today, and then we're going to break it down and see what, what it looks like to follow Jesus in this area of anger. And so in four, chapter 4, and verse 26, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. So this is actually a quote from uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 4. I'm not going to go into that, but Paul quotes this Old Testament statement about anger, in your anger, do not sin. And I want you to catch this. Paul assumes as followers of Jesus, we will all deal with anger in our life. So we've come to Jesus, we've been forgiven, we've received the Holy Spirit, we're in the process of being transformed, but he's assuming that every day we're gonna deal with anger issues. We're gonna get angry every day. And he says, so here's the thing, uh, when you get angry, make sure that anger doesn't lead you to do something that's destructive, something that's evil, something that'll tear people down. So in your anger, do not sin. Sin is destructive, so in your anger, do not sin. And he says, but instead... He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with it rapidly. And then he gives us why, verse 27, uh, do not give the devil a foothold. So he says anger is destructive. He says when you, when you have anger in your life, anger in your relationship, whether it's your marriage, with your kids, a co-worker, a life group, ministry team, when you're angry, when you have anger in your relationship and it goes unresolved, he said you might as well uh, give, kind of invite Satan to come and stand in the relationship. The word here for foothold is a simple word in Greek. That's the word topos. It means the place. It's like we were, we're at topographical map. So where what, what, what we're going to work the topographical from. And so Paul says that when you don't deal with anger appropriately, you're giving Satan a place. I like to say I'm a seat at the table. And so like, hey, I'm angry with my wife. It's unresolved. We haven't talked for three days. And so we go to bed. Satan, here's your place right in the middle. You're like right between us. Right? When we go to our life group, you have unresolved anger with some of your life group. It's like, hey, let's pull up an extra chair for the devil today. And let's kind of have him join us in this life group. So... Uh, Paul says that will happen. Now, if you jump down to verse 31, he brings up this topic again. So we're just going to deal with it now. In verse 31, he says, so therefore, because anger is so dangerous, he says we need to get rid of it. Get rid of it. uh, Put it off is another way of saying it. We've talked about we're going to get rid of all bitterness. We're going to get rid of rage and anger. We're gonna get rid of brawling and slander. So, brawling in the Greek, it it may be referring more to like verbal brawling, kind of shouting matches, than than probably, but he may be talking about physical brawling too. So, brawling and slander, kind of using our words to tear the people down. He said, along with every form of malice. So, he says that when you get angry, uh, anger is sort of like a spring out of which many things come. And so, he says, the kind of things that come out rage, uh, 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 malice, slander, um, attacks, you know, a brawling, uh, these are the kind of things that, that come out of this kind of uh, spring of anger. So, so as followers of Jesus, if we want to be transformed, if we want to rethink our life, if we want to uh, put off the old, put on the new, become like God again, live this epic life we've been called to, he says one of the things that we have to learn how to do is a, a kind of rethink our whole approach to anger, all right? So that's the passage. So what I want to do in the time that we have I want to highlight uh, first a couple big picture principles that set the stage for everything we're talking about today about anger, what the Bible says, what Jesus says about anger. And secondly, I'm going to come back and then give five practical steps about how to put it off in our life. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Anger 101, the big picture. So just two, two principles. The first thing Paul wants us to understand is that anger is a big deal. Now, this is important because often when we get angry, we want to pretend it isn't. Often we get angry. In fact, we often say this, right? What's the big deal? I'm just blowing off a little bit of steam, right? And so we want to often pretend it's not that big a deal. But Paul says, no, it is a big deal. In fact, if you don't deal with it in an appropriate way, so you might as well invite Satan into your, your life. Uh, and he says, therefore, we need to get rid of it. And if we're, we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to something to put off. Now, this is something that, you know, Paul learned from Jesus, Throughout this mini-series that we're in, we've talked this over and over, that Paul says if we're going to live an epic life, we have to intervene to the school of Jesus. And one of the first lessons Jesus ever taught in his school for his disciples was about anger. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, there uh, is the most famous message in the history of the world. It's uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5 through 7. And as Jesus uh, calls his disciples to himself, we're going to be there just a couple of weeks on this mountain uh, in Israel. He calls his disciples. Of course, the crowds are there, but he calls his disciples. He's teaching them how to follow, what it means to be a follower of me, what it means to be part of my kingdom. And he starts with some introductory statements of a blessing, what it looks like to live a blessed life. He calls them to be salt in the world, light in, light in the world. Uh, and, 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 then, and then he starts to launch in. So here's what it looks like to follow me. And as he begins to tell what it looks like to follow him, the very first topic on the table is anger. And there on your note sheet, I put this verse. And uh, so Jesus said, uh, you've heard it said to people long ago. There's was a long time ago. He said, You're all, you know, they're all Jews, right? They, they've all been grown up studying Torah, the law. They all know the Ten Commandments. They all go to synagogue every week. And so they, all, they understand this. He says that you've, all he- you've heard that it was said to people long ago, uh, do not murder. Uh, of course, Ten Commandments don't murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. So, if you've ever read through the Torah, the books of Moses, you know that there are many laws about legislation, about murder. What happens when you murder? People die. Whatever involuntary manslaughter, done things, and so that if you kill someone and you murder someone, that you are subject to legal prosecution. You know, kind of eye for an eye sort of thing, right? So he says, so that's what you've heard. He says, you've heard as God's people that you should not kill one another. He said, but I want to raise the bar. And this is what he does all through the Sermon on the Mount. He raises the bar. He says, but I'm going to tell you, kind of new teaching for my followers. He says, I tell you, I don't even want you to want to kill people. (laughs) He says, "But, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So He says, says, so I don't want to deal just with the exteriors of your life. Don't kill people. I want to deal with the interior of your life, your heart, your desire to kill people. You see? And so this is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to transform us from the inside out. So we don't just kill people, but we don't kind of wish we could. You see? Now, as we go on, as Jesus goes on in this passage, he goes on and he, he kind of keeps raising the bar. He says, in fact, he says, when you get angry at someone, it leads to bad things. Like you start calling them names. And one of their, their names in that day, you'd see it on the subways, you'd see it in the, the graffiti, was Raka. Raka means like you empty-headed moron. Right? And so he says, so if you, if you, you, know, like you get mad and you, kinda, you, you call your, uh, your brother, you call him a Raqqa. he says, well, now you're guilty before the Supreme Court of Israel. And he said, and if you keep on going and you call him a fool, which in Israel, remember, a fool says in his heart there is no God. In Hebrew, thought a fool is not just stupid, but you're like uh, morally, uh, morally suspect. You've kind of rejected God. So he says, uh, if you call someone a fool, he says, you're in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus is putting neon lights on this. There's my followers, we ought to deal with this anger issue. And I want you to think about this. Because it's out of anger that comes all these other issues our bitterness, our slander, our name calling, our brawling, our attacks. It all comes out of anger. So Jesus says, hey, if you're gonna follow our mind, we gotta deal with this anger issue. In other words, it's a big deal. So, number one. Okay, number two. Oh, by the way, just I'm gonna highlight. It's so important because, like I said, we have a natural tendency when we get angry to downplay it. It's not a big deal. I want you to catch here. Paul says, it is a big deal. Jesus says, it is a big deal. Deal with it, okay? Number two. The second principle is that uh, anger is a bad thing. Now, this is something we need to get clear on because often we want to believe it's a good thing. Yes, I'm angry at you, but it's righteous anger. I'm just being like Jesus. (laughs) Remember when he got the whip out? That's me. I'm the whip in your life. I'm going to punish you. I'm sorry. Hurts me more than it hurts you, but uh, I want to be like Jesus. So, So we tend to want to justify our anger. And so here's why I say, we we need to start saying, no, no, anger is a bad thing. Now you say, well, like, isn't that sometimes a good thing? I say, yeah, sometimes it is. Uh, God gets angry, right? Jesus gets angry. But when Jesus gets angry, catch this, it's not because of personal insult. When Jesus gets angry, it's not because his ego has been bruised or you've hurt him or he's, you've insulted him or you cut him off in a chariot or whatever. <laughs> when Jesus gets angry, it's because bad things are happening to other people and he wants to stop it. So for example, he's very protective this way. So for example, in Mark chapter three, when uh, Jesus is gonna heal a man on the Sabbath, has a, a crippled hand, the religious leaders don't want him to do that. And uh, he gets mad at them. Like that's, you're, you're like misrepresenting God. When he goes in and he, cleans the, uh, he cleanses out the temple, uh, you know, I don't know for sure if he's mad. It doesn't say he's mad. But my guess is, as he's swinging the whip, he probably doesn't have a smile on his face. And, and so what's he doing there? It's like they've, they've turned the temple into a marketplace that was supposed to be where Gentiles could come to meet God. And he's he's angry at the religious leaders for being hypocrites. And people, you see what I'm saying? Jesus' anger is protective, not personal. Our anger is almost always personal. You hurt me. I'm mad at you. You are threatening me. You scare me. I'm mad at you. You're frustrating. You're keeping me from getting what I want. I get mad at you. So it's interesting because when you come to the book of James in the New Testament, James, you know, half-brother of Jesus, same, same mother, different father. James, the apostle, he puts it like this. He actually makes a distinction between man's anger and God's anger. And he puts it there You know, notice He says, uh, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone, so no exceptions, should be quick to listen. In other words, we're in a conflict situation, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. she have a long fuse. Be very patient. Why? Because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. He says when we get angry, what it leads us to do are not the righteous things, but unrighteous things. When we get angry, you can tell it's bad anger because of what it leads us to do. It leads us to strike out in malice, in slander, in brawling, in rage, in attacking. You see? So the question is, well, how do you know if you have righteous anger? The the answer is, what is that anger leading you to do? If your anger is leading you to do the right thing in the right way, both are important, Right thing in the right way. It may be righteous anger. Right? So, so maybe you're angry over injustice. Maybe you're angry uh, over a certain issue that's just really an ungodly thing. Maybe you're uh, angry over someone who's the, the weak are being oppressed. And so it's your, your anger of the right thing, but you're also angry in the right way. That you're responding to that in love, in kindness, and with truth then it's appropriate anger, right? But if your anger is leading you to do something that's either the wrong thing, attack, or the wrong way, the way we're trying to address it, it's wrong. So let me do a little sidebar here because as followers of Jesus, we often get this wrong. Often we think if we're standing up for the right thing, it doesn't matter how we do it. So, for example, if you want to get depressed sometimes, read Facebook. Because if you go on Facebook, for me as a pastor, that's where I want to go if I'm just too up. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you have days, you're just so positive, like, knock it off. This is just too good. Come on, let's bring it down a little Let's be real. Okay, let's go read Facebook. Uh, Because what you'll read on Facebook is all these people who are my friends uh, and, and we are followers of Jesus, friends, right? And we are attacking people in the most ungodly ways. And so we will attack our president because he's doing the wrong thing. And we think that justifies us saying anything we want. And so we will be harsh and ugly and mean and often we don't even check our facts. How many times have you received in your email a story about some political issue or a political person that slanders them and we forward it to someone else and we don't even check to see if it's true? And we find out later it's not true. We go, well, there's something else they did anyway. So they kind of deserve it. And so are you you with me? The, The righteous anger is the right thing and the right way. And anything less, all we're doing is showing how incredibly spiritually immature we are and how we're not being led by the spirit of God. We're being led by Satan himself. We're pursuing the dark side. And that's why Paul says, hey, put off Anger and bitterness and rage put off slander and brawling, put off all malice, see? And so, the first thing we want, we want to clear is anger is a big deal. Anger is a bad thing. And so, uh, and so if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be entering the school of Jesus, if we're going to be transformed, live a new life, epic life, Paul says we need to put it off, right? Now, the question is, how do we put it off? And uh, what I want to give you today is five steps that I think will be helpful to you. Now, I want to say this as we get started, that the most important teacher in your life when it comes to dealing with anger is the Holy Spirit. And so as you listen and follow, he will mentor you. If you really want to grow in this area, he will listen and, and I mean, he'll show you, you can, if you only listen, listen and follow. Um, but I think these five will be very helpful. They'll be very helpful steps, right? So we're going to jump in. Before I do, I want to issue a challenge. The last couple of weeks, as we started this section of Ephesians, I, I told you we're going into a very important, like Paul is kind of landing the plane. Here's what, if you want to live an epic life, follow Jesus, rethink your life, be transformed. Let me give some examples. And I told you, that over the next seven weeks, we're going to be dealing with one powerful topic after another. And what I told you is that if you'll be open to the Holy Spirit, if you'll be radically honest, if you'll come under the leadership of Jesus, enter the school of Jesus, let him be your rabbi, if you're willing to put off the old and put on the new, I can pretty much guarantee you that you'll be a different person and more like Jesus and well on your way to the epic life at the end of the seven weeks. I also warned you that the opposite is true. If we're not open to Jesus, if we don't go to the school of Jesus, if we're not willing to put off the old, put on the new, we will be less like Jesus seven weeks from now than we are now. Which is how spiritual life works. When you reject the truth, you lose the light you have. And so I want to challenge you, as we go into this section now, it's going to be fairly hard-hitting. As we go into this section, I want to challenge you to be radically honest with yourself. As we'll see, there's no fear. There's no, no reason not to be. And I'm going to challenge you to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you today about this important topic, because this one topic and this one message can literally change your life if we're, if we're open. Okay, so there we go. Number one, there in your note sheet, you anger, putting it off. Number one. First step, if we're going to live this new life, is we have to own it. We have to own it. That uh, when we're angry, you have to be willing to admit that we're angry. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound that hard, but the reality is, for many of us, it's very hard. Often, as followers of Jesus, it's hard to admit when we're angry. Uh, You you talk to someone and say, You sound a little angry. No, I'm not angry. (laughs) Well, really, you, you look a little frustrated. I'm not frustrated. You sure? Because you, you sound kind of irritated. I'm not irritated. Well, you might want to let your face know. Because your eyes are bulging out. I can count your pulse by the veins in your neck. Your face is red, and it looks like you're ready to come out of your seat at me, right? And so why is it so hard, especially for us as followers of Jesus to admit sometimes that we're angry. And I really believe this, it's because that we haven't gone deep enough into what the Bible teaches about grace. You know, oftentimes our fear is that if I'm honest about my anger, I, I know what Jesus says about anger, I know what Paul says, but I know it's a bad thing, I don't wanna admit, because if I admit I'm a bad person. And I'm afraid if I admit I'm a bad person, I'm afraid that God won't love me anymore. I don't know what to do with myself. And so we have to lie to ourselves and pretend we're not angry so that we can maintain that relationship with God. But can I tell you something? What we learned all the way through Ephesians is that God loved you when you were a wreck. In chapter 2, he said when you're spiritually dead, when you were an enemy of God following the ways of the world, when you were under the leadership of Satan himself, that's when God loved you. God doesn't love you because you have it all together. God loves you because he's love. And so God is passionate about you and there's nothing you could say and there's nothing you could do and there's nothing that you'll ever feel that will make him love you less. And therefore, he is the most safe person in the world to be radically honest with. And catch this, as I often say, If you wanna grow in any area of your life, if you wanna get better, the first step is radical honesty. Like when you go to the doctor, you wanna say, well, I wanna share this, that would be embarrassing. He may think less of me. It's like, well, no, no. Well, I'll share this little pain, but I've got this serious thing. I'm not, no. You have to be honest, right, because the doctor can't help you unless you're honest. So if you have an anger issue, if you're angry with someone, that as followers of Jesus, we should have the easiest time of anyone in all creation admitting it. Because there's no fear. There's no fear. It's just like every time we find something wrong with ourselves, we're just like, awesome, I found something else screwed up. we just kind of like, let me go to Jesus with it, the doctor, because then he's going to fix me. You see? And so, so we should run. So uh, here's the reality. As followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, We've been forgiven, but we still have our old nature, don't we? And every one of us deals with anger every day. This is reality. Like how many of you say, at least at a time in your life, you've had an anger problem? All right, so we're still working on the integrity issue. Um, That's good, though. We're getting there. You know, we started the day with a story at the Arco station. And, uh, and so I'm trying to take you back there. You know, the python's going through the air, gas is spewed everywhere, right? And one of the things that we know about anger from uh, neuroscience is that when you get angry, uh, your body pumps all kinds of uh, neurochemicals into your bloodstream. And this is why our hearts beat faster. It's why um, it's why uh, the you know the, the kind of the your face gets red. It's why the knot in your stomach and your chest. Because your body is pouring in adrenaline and other neurochemicals into your body. You're physically changing when you, when you get angry. And one of the things that we know that happens is when you get really angry, you lose your mind. And this is literally true scientifically. What happens is these things flood our brain. These neurochemicals flood our brain. Our focus gets very narrow. We get very narrow-minded. And we don't see big picture well. And this is why sometimes when you're angry, you say really stupid things. Because you kind of lost your brain. You You left it. So we're at the Arco station, right? And this thing flies out. And this lady is mad. And so she's gonna attack me, but remember she only has half a brain. (laughs) And so she begins to launch it and scream at me, middle of the arco station. Scream at me. And here's what she says. Your gas line came out. (laughs) Fairly obvious. It's an attack. There is no, she is coming at me with a stallion and a lance, right? She's coming like, she is going to take me out. I just scared her. She's going to knock me off my horse, right? So, of course, follower of Jesus. I just kind of sidestep that lance. And uh, I don't respond. And uh, I don't, I bite my tongue. Uh, I know I'm under attack, but I don't attack back. I'm just doing the good Jesus thing, right? Oh, she's not done. She's looking for an ounce of flesh. She's gonna knock me from the horse or die trying. So she turns that stallion around. She starts coming back. So here's her second line. Remember, half half her brain behind her back. Right. Second line. Gas is spewing everywhere. I turn the cheek once. I'm not doing it again. So I get my lance, and I charge at her. And I scream back, that's why they call it a gas station. <laughs> Boom, knocks her off her horse. Her eyes get big, takes her out. I just won the battle of the Arco station. Did I mention she's an old lady? <laughs> and then I walk away and I feel horrible. Like right? I'm a follower of Jesus, like that. I know what he said about anger, right? And so I know what James says: Slow to speak, you know, slow to get angry. I mean, she's just I scared her to death. I should have just taken it. I should have just apologized, right? But I didn't. She was attacking me. I'm going to attack her back. I'm going to knock her off. So I won, but I lost. My next thought is, I hope she doesn't recognize me. (laughs) Largest church in the region. Uh, All right, so point being, point being, Hey, we all deal with this. We all deal with this. You deal with it. I deal with it. And so there's no need to pretend we don't. And someone says, someone seems angry. Yeah, I am. Well, that's a bad thing. Yeah, I know, but Jesus still loves me. It's okay. That's why I came to Jesus, so he could fix me, heal me. So yeah, I'm angry. I'm irritated. I'm trying to do it, you know, what Paul said, In my anger don't sin. I'm trying to work this out right? So, so we're going to admit it. We have to own it. Catch this. You can't get rid of something you're pretending you don't have, right? Okay, number two. I'm just glad it's 11 o'clock service. I can go for hours. Uh, number two. <laughs> number two, stop defending it. Next step, you know, after we've admitted we, we are angry, then we need to stop defending it. And this is what comes so naturally, when we get angry, we want to pretend our anger is righteous anger. We want to believe we're being just like Jesus. We are doing what Jesus would do. Uh, In fact, there's a tendency to blame the other person for causing us to be angry. So what happens, we get angry, we say, well, sure, I'm angry, but if you'd stop overspending, I wouldn't need to be angry well, if you cared as much about me and the kids as you do about your NFL, <laughs> we wouldn't have this problem. Well, if you hadn't gone and had that affair, well, if you hadn't backed into me. And so what we begin to do is we justify our anger. We get angry, but we want to justify our anger that this is really not my issue, it's your issue. And catch this, as long as we justify it, we can never get rid of it. Are you with me in this? Man, this is just powerful. And this is why I started with, hey, anger is a big deal, and anger is a bad thing. Until we it. It's really interesting. Um, when I was uh, in my doctoral program, I had the privilege of having a two-week kind of live-in class with... Uh, Dallas Willard was in a retreat center. And uh, Dallas said something to us one day that I'm still trying to figure out whether I agree 100%, but I've never forgotten something so profound. What Dallas said, he said, uh, after all his study of this, he said that there is nothing, as a follower of Jesus, there is nothing that you can do with anger that you can't do better without anger. And I'm still processing that. It was years and years ago. I don't completely agree. But here's what I want you to catch. As long as we justify our anger, we will never get better. We have to recognize anger for what it is and get rid of it, regardless of why we have it. We have to take responsibility that anger is my anger. Not everyone would be as angry as I am over this incident. Other people have the same thing. They wouldn't necessarily respond. My anger is my anger. I have to own that. I can't get rid of it until I own it and stop defending it. And the reason this is so important, and the reason Jesus says anger is such a big deal is because, and I want you to catch this, at the heart of anger is the desire to hurt someone back. Anger by its nature is an act of violence. This is why Jesus says, as my followers, you need to get rid of this. See, anger is about, I want to hurt you back. You hurt me, I want to hurt you back. That's what anger is about. And that's why we have to get rid of it, because how can we live a life of love when we're trying to hurt people back, whether we do or not? There in your note sheet, uh, I'm going to be quoting today a couple times from another one of my, uh, my profs in the doctoral program. His name is Dr. Archibald Hart. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a very famous guy. He's uh, a Christian psychologist, one of the very first. Uh, he's the sort of guy that's on, at least he used to be on, focused on the family all the time. He's a brilliant man. And uh, he wrote a book many years ago called Unlocking the, the Mystery of Your Emotions. It's no longer available in print unless you buy a used copy. But it's a great chapter on anger. And this is what he says. I'm going to quote him twice today. But he says, I must stress that this need to hurt back is present every time you're angered by hurt. It can take a subtle form so that you may not be able to recognize it. But, if there, but it, must, it is there, and it must be dealt with before you can set aside your anger. Catch this. It is the law of our lower nature, what the Bible calls our flesh, human nature. It's the law of our lower nature that we want to hurt back when we are hurt. And so, are you with me? As long as we defend my anger, I wouldn't have to be angry if you weren't this, What we're doing is holding on to that anger and defending it. It is a righteous anger. I'm justified in holding and having it. And as long as we justify it, can't get rid of it. Number three, the third step is to seek the source. In other words, when you get angry, you need to find out why you're angry. You need to figure it out. Why am I angry? You might say, well, it's obvious I'm angry because she overspent our budget again. It's obvious. The guy just cut me off and almost caused an accident. Well, it's obvious. He had an affair and ruined our family. It's, It's obvious. But here's what I want to suggest. It really isn't that obvious. Anger is what we call a secondary emotion. In other words, anger is a response to something else, another primary emotion. And I want to give you three of the most common. This isn't all of them, but three of the most common to help you kind of uh, catch this and diagnose this in your own life. The first one, the, the first uh, blank there in your note sheet is hurt. That when we get hurt, um, we get angry. So it hurts you. However, they hurt, hurt your feelings, hurt you physically, hurt you financially. We're going to get angry. It's natural. Uh, our charges is so that. Number two, fear. When someone scares you, when someone threatens you, our natural response is anger. You know, when Lynn and I were first married, um, we would go camping sometimes with my folks. I remember this one time we were up at Sequoia National Forest, not the National Park, highly developed, but the National Forest, very kind of out in the middle of nowhere, not a lot of amenities. And, uh, and so one night I need to go to the bathroom, and so the bathrooms were quite a ways away, hardly any lighting, right? And so... Uh, I'm walking through the dark forest, and my mom thinks it's going to be really funny to scare me. (laughs) this is generational. Her mom did this to her. It's a generational sin in our family. And so she decides to hide behind a big tree in the dark, and when I go out, to, when, I, when I come by to scream and get big and pretend she's a bear. Right? So I come by, pitch black, and all of a sudden she jumps out. Whoa! Right? Scares me to death. And so after I realize she's not a real bear and the adrenaline has flooded my system, I am so mad what are you thinking, Mama? You know, I'm sorry. She, she scared me, right? Uh, this happens all the time in our marriage. Not that Lynn jumps out <laughs> of things, but uh, if you were to compare us, I would be the more adventuresome of the two, right? So I'm chasing tornadoes on my motorcycle in Kansas, having a great time. She thinks it's not the best idea. Right? So I don't know. Anyway, so. This happens all the time in our relationship where I've got a plan, what I'm going to do. It sounds so much fun. And Lynn starts raising her concerns. And the more she talks, the more nervous I get. And then I get mad. Why? Because she scared me. This is why the woman in the Arco station was so mad. I scared her. When someone, you perceive someone's a threat, they may take your kids away. They may fire you on the job. Uh, They may talk about you to others. It makes us angry. It's fear. Number three, the third cause is frustration. And by frustration, I mean when we don't get our way. Like we all have a will in life. We have a plan. When anyone gets in the way of my plan, I'm going to get angry. It's just the way we are. So uh, we start learning this young. I was at Corner Bakery at Simi a week or two ago, and uh, I was sitting there at a table, and the door was open to the outside. There's a, a mom there and a couple of kids, and this one kid is just crying hard, like two years old. And I'm getting really irritated, right, because I could, this is not a real cry. This, like, this kid's not hurting. This kid is mad. This kid's something he wanted. He's not getting, and so he is going to let his mom know He's not happy with her. And so he is just crying, this fake cry, really loud. And I'm sitting there like, lady, that's a fake cry. You know, didn't you take the class? You know? <laughs> you know, like, stop that. You know, it's irritating, right? Well, here's what I want you to catch. We start this about two, and we never give it up. <laughs> we just cry in different ways. So we don't get our way. This is why we get angry on the freeway, right? Because we all have a vision of how the freeway should work. <laughs> like in my vision, the fast lane should be reserved for fast people. Right? Yeah, can I hear an amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't even believe it. You know, there's like no one, especially... If it's the like multiple people, you know, like, like the uh, uh, carpool lane, especially, right? Sometimes you come up behind someone, they're going slow. There's four open lanes over here, but they have two people in their family. And so they think this, they deserve this lane, right? And you come up and I'm like, no, 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 no. No, there's four lanes. There's the under 65 lane. There is the 65 lane. There is the 70 lane, and there's the over 70, 75, and above lane. We call it the fast lane. Didn't you go to school? Didn't you go to driver's ed? <laughs> and so we all have these rules, right? And so we all have a rule, like how close someone should follow you in traffic before it becomes tailgating. We have rules about when someone's changing lanes in front of you, what is an appropriate distance before, you know, you, can they cut you off. And so what happens is when someone breaks one of our rules, we're like, are you serious? You just broke the rule of the center of the universe. And as the center of the universe, I feel obligated to correct you. I may need hand signals. I may need to ride your bumper. But someone needs to tell you what you missed in school. That that is not, right. So are you with me in this? We all have a will. And when we don't get our way, that is a major cause of of anger. And so here's what I'm saying is that as we're learning to deal with our anger, it's hard to deal with anger until you know exactly what you're angry about. So you have to trace it down. Now, sometimes you need some help to do this. Some of you are really good at this. You're more introspective. You're very aware of your internal world. Something happens. You're mad. And if I say, why are you mad? You go, this is why. Here's the three buckets. There it is. Right there. Others of you, this doesn't come naturally. And so if I were to ask you, why are you mad? You go, I don't know. They just did this. And no, 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 no. I know what they did, but why are you angry? Which of these three buckets? And you would need some help with this. Right, so you need to process with a friend, which is a good thing. Process with a friend, a wise counsel in your life. Uh, it's just important who you choose. If you're going to process your anger with someone, you want to make sure you pick someone who doesn't have an anger problem. <laughs> because otherwise, you're going to have a bigger problem. You know, it's like the guy who's having troubles in his marriage and he goes to the bar, and the guy's there like, I've been married five times, I know everything. Let me tell you. Right? <laughs> So, like when you like don't talk to your friends if they get madder than you. There's some people you talk with them like I'm trying to process this, see how you should respond. By the time they get done, they're ready to kill the person. (laughs) And now you're both, you got a conspiracy going. So whatever it is, figure it out. Process it. Search it down. Why am I angry? That leads to number four. Number four is then to process it spiritually. What I'm saying here is is after you figure it out, and for some of you, uh, you could switch number four and number three, uh, depending on your personality, but uh, kind of the order of events. But what I'm saying is you need to take this to the Lord. You need to take it to wise counsel in your life, and you say, okay, so here's what I'm feeling, and God, I want you, I need your help here to how to respond. Remember what you said. In order to follow Jesus and be transformed, we have to learn how to rethink our life. So once we've identified why we're angry, it's because of hurt, it's because of frustration, it's because of fear, what we need to do now is take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is how I used to think. When someone hurt me, this is how I'd respond. Now, as a follower of yours, how do you want me to respond? What's your perspective on this situation? That's what I mean by processing it spiritually. And can I tell you something? That anger gives us one of the best opportunities we have to grow spiritually, because anger reveals you at your core. You may not like what you see, but anger reveals you. you realize, I'm so ticked off because of this. And so you can take it to the Lord and, and begin now. The Holy Spirit can be okay. Well, okay, that's what. I, no, this is not. No, this is how we want to do it. This is a new, new way. Here's what we need to, to rethink, be kind of renewed, transferred, uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is what we need to do, right? So, so in the presence of God, sometimes in the presence of trusted Christian friends, we need to take this and say, okay, so here's why I'm angry. Now, Jesus, help me to know how to respond to that, what's an appropriate way to respond. And catch this, one of the best opportunities we have to grow. Because Jesus might say, all right, so, so I want you to let this go. Or he may say, I want you to go and talk to this person. Or he may say, here's, you know, you're making too big a deal. Whatever the thing is, but he's going to teach you how to handle it in a new way. Now, that leads to uh, number five. And so, once we have clarity on what the issue is, why we're mad, and what we're supposed to do about it, we need to deal with it quickly. Now, this is important because this is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4 and verse 26. I want you to read it again. 426, he says, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with anger quickly. Why? Because anger, if we don't deal with it uh, quickly, tends to grow. Now, it may sound simple on paper, deal with it quickly, but in real life, this is really tough. Because when you're truly angry, the last thing you want to do is get rid of it. What you want to do is express it. You want to act it out. Uh, and so we may know we're supposed to deal with it quickly, but we don't want it. We want to hold on to it. We want to water it. We want to put some uh, uh, fertilizer in it. We want to just kind of, hey, grow with me. Go little anger, anger plant. Let's grow with me, right? And so we're going to, come on, you can do this. Uh, and so this is not natural. It's not natural to deal with it quickly. What's natural is to prologue it. Here's what we do. What's natural is to replay it in our mind, over and over. What they said, what they did, rehearse it over and over again. Have brain debates as we're driving along. Oh, I should have said this, that would have been awesome. And we replay it, like, oh, that would have got them, you know? (laughs) We wanna talk to our friends. Can you believe what she said? I can't believe that. She calls herself a Christian? Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. You wouldn't do it. And so we're going to, we're going to, and what we're doing is every time we do this, we're rehearsing the anger. And every time we go around that, it goes deeper within us and gets harder to put it off. You know, when I was a kid or growing up, psychologists used to say that when you're angry, you need to get it out. You need to express it. It was a phase of, you know, get a baseball bat, go in a room, pound on a dummy, you know? Not the other person, but I mean the, you know, like the stuff kind. Uh, and you just need to get it out. If you don't get it out, if you don't express it, you don't yell, you don't say what you're feeling, you'll it's, you need catharsis. You need to get catharsis. And they used to teach that. You know what they found out now? That when you do that, it increases, not diminishes your anger. It's like putting gasoline on the fire. Proverbs has told us this forever. Because in Proverbs it says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. So when we rehearse that, when we talk about it more, go over the story one more time, tell three more people, all that's doing is pushing that anger deeper inside of you and make it a bigger issue. And so we need as soon as possible to disengage it, deal with it, do what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do. There in your note sheet, Arch Hartigan says, let me stress how important it is to try and cut off your anger at the earliest possible moment, preferably at the trigger point. Again and again, I find that clients don't realize what tremendous ability they have to avoid getting angry in the first place. We get angry without thinking about whether, we could have not, whether or not we could have avoided it. All anger has a point at which it begins, the trigger point, and there are many ways we can deal with our thoughts and attitudes either to avoid the trigger or to cut the anger off at the earliest possible moment. So we need to deal with it. Now, the question is, well, how do you deal deal with it quickly? Uh, How do you put it off? And I want to give you three suggestions. Again, acknowledging the Holy Spirit's going to be your teacher, but let me give you three suggestions. Number one, take a break. When you get angry... And you can see this conversation or situation, it's heading down the wrong road. Get off the horse. You've been down this path before. It's not going to get better. It's not going to go well. Take a break. Get away. Why? Because those endorphins, the adrenaline, it's giving you this, it's narrowing your mind. You can't think straight. And so you need to get away. And what should you do? Don't drive. (laughs) Go for a walk. Go work out. Do something you enjoy doing. Let your brain, it takes at least 20 minutes, let your brain kind of disengage, get the chemicals out, so you can come back and re-engage and talk about this. If you're married, this needs to be a rule in your marriage, that if it's going the wrong way, you need to be able to agree that, hey, you know what, times we just need to say time out, and you take a timeout, and catch this, it doesn't mean we can't talk about it, it doesn't mean I can't circle back, I just don't think this is going well right now. If you have that rule, you need to make sure your spouse knows that you will come back and you can deal with the issue because otherwise, if your spouse has abandonment issues, when you just take off, they don't know if you're coming back and it feels like an act of violence, all right? So take a break. Uh, number two, uh, pursue a clarifying conversation. Then you say, what's a clarifying conversation? A clarifying conversation, we sit down with someone we are having conflict, and we just say, can we talk about this? The goal of a clarifying conversation is understanding. The problem is, often when we try to talk through conflict situations, our goal is not to understand, our goal is to win. And when people sense our goal is to win, their defenses go up. And so clarifying situa- conversations, where we sit down with someone, we say, hey, listen, this situation's going on. I think you both know I, there's some tension here. I would just like to talk about it honestly. I'd love to hear from you kind of how it looks from your uh, point of view. I'd like to share a little bit about how it looks from my point of view and just see if we can come to some understanding. And so uh, there's a great, uh, uh, I, I love the way Stephen Covey put this, uh, years ago, in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said that kind of the, the, the approach is seek first to understand and then to be understood. As we go into a conversation, uh, it's like James says, slow to speak, quick to hear. Seek first to understand. And we're just going to look at it. Now, Jesus actually talks about this twice in his teaching. Both references are on your note sheet. But what Jesus says is it doesn't matter whether the person is mad at you or you're mad at the person you need to move towards that person and have a clarifying conversation. Now, in reality, this is very hard to do. But I want you to catch this, men and women. I don't want you to miss this. This next statement is gonna be important. If you want to live an epic life, you have to learn how to have honest conversation in conflict situations. If you do not learn that skill, you will never be able to have depth in your relationships, and you will tend to just go from relationship with relationship, either keeping them very shallow because you're not willing to talk about the conflict, or just dropping relationship. Whenever it gets hard, you just drop it and go into something else. And so this is a skill we have to learn, and it's an important skill. And uh, if you need some help in this, one book that could really help you is there on your note sheet called Critical Conversations. Not a Christian book, but a great book really help you with that. And then the last, the last suggestion is to let it go. That when we're in conflict situations, when there's anger there, catch this, there's times we just have to learn to forgive. In fact, I would put it this way, that when it, when it comes to anger, forgiveness is the most important tool in your tool belt. And let me explain why. When someone hurts us, when someone scares us, when someone frustrates us, what it feels like to us is that they owe me. They hurt me and now they owe me, which is why I want to hurt them back, to pay them back, because they owe me. Forgiveness at the core is about forgiving the debt. That's what, when you break forgiveness down, forgiveness is about forgiving a debt. So Jesus models, and it's the ultimate kind of jiu-jitsu move on spiritual jiu-jitsu on anger. Now, we're going to talk about forgiveness for two weeks in just a few weeks, so we're going to come back, but I want to plant the seed today that many times as you go to the Lord and process this, the Lord's going to say, you need to just let that go. You know, it's not that big a deal. You're overreacting. Or maybe it was wrong, but remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4 at the beginning, bear with one another, be patient. There's times where God's going to say, hey, yeah, that was wrong, just let it go. There's other times when you say, you know, this is such a big issue, it's going to cause ongoing issues in the relationship that you're going to need to, you can't just let it go, you need to go and have a clarifying conversation. Sometimes that will resolve it, sometimes it won't. When it doesn't, the Holy Spirit's going to say, okay, now you've done your best. Let it go. Is here's the thing. The path to freedom, when it comes to anger, leads through the gateway of forgiveness. And So we're going to talk about that more. But for today, what I want you to catch is Paul says, if you want to live big, you want to live an epic life, you want to live out the vision, you have to rethink your whole approach to life to put off the old, put on the new, so you can be transformed. And one of the most important areas is in the area of anger. Let's pray. Where eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I just want to ask you, is there anything the Holy Spirit has been saying to you today? Maybe a person you need to reconcile with, move towards, clarifying conversation. There's something you need to let go. Maybe there's been an issue in your life you've been unafraid unaf- to even admit that you have the anger, or you've been defending it. Um, you've been handling the wrong way, but is there something the Lord is saying, okay, this is your next step in following me. We're gonna go into a time of worship now. We're gonna ask the Lord to soften our heart. We're gonna ask the Lord to open our eyes. We're gonna ask the Lord to surre- teach us how to surrender. We're gonna ask the Lord to give us faith, to trust that he knows best. And so as we worship, as we bring our offerings, use this time to be with him, and to respond. So Lord, we give this time to you now. We pray you'd come and minister to us in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. And so God, we come today as your people in your place, gathered in your name. We have come today to the school of Jesus. We have recognized your truth that anger is a big deal. It's a bad thing, that it prevents us from living large, the life you call us to live so we want to own it we want to stop defending it we want to ask your wisdom to help us seek it out why it's happening we pray as we process it you'd show us and teach us what to do and how to respond in new ways and then we pray you give us the courage that when you'd show us so we would act quickly that we can remove this cancer from our life that we could go on to live the lives that you called us to be live lives that are loved, love and transform the world so we pray this in your name We pray it for your honor. We pray it for your sake and the sake of your fame. We pray it for the sake of your kingdom that you would release us from this mortal enemy. We pray it in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's give it up for him. Hey well, I hope you can be with us next week as we continue this journey. I'll be back. We'll be taking the next topic on the table. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, I wanna remind you that after the service, we always have an opportunity for prayer over at the far side. Whether I mention it or not, it's always there. And so I encourage you, especially if you're dealing with an anger issue today. You just want some prayer. God, guide me. Don't just take it on your own. Go over there. I'd love to pray with you. They got with you wisdom, strength, direction. Until next week, God bless you. I'll see you then. I love you.